Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen of Calvary Chapel Pearland. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. So in 1 Kings 13, verse 1, is the message of the man of God. And behold, a man went from Judah to Bethel by the word of the Lord, and Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. Then he cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, behold, a child, Josiah by name, shall be born to the house of David, and on you he shall sacrifice the priests of the high places, who burn incense on you, and men's bones shall be burned on you. And he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is the sign which the Lord has spoken. Surely the altar shall split apart, and the ashes on it shall be poured out. So y'all remember that Judah almost went to war with Jeroboam. So you can imagine maybe how scared this prophet that the Lord sent How afraid he might have been to go over there and stick his neck out like he did and warn them. But verse 1 says the man of God went by the word of the Lord. This means that he had the authority and the power of the Lord with him to go and speak that message, even though he was going to a very hostile place. I myself have to remember these things. When I go to a seemingly hostile place where, you know, you think people aren't going to welcome this message very well, you got to remember the word of the Lord sent you there. God got there before you got there. So if, God, if the Lord has a message for you to go proclaim, remember, the word of the Lord is with you. And so this prophet was extremely specific in what he said. He spoke of a man by name. He also gave a sign. He spoke of a sign to validate the prophecy that he just gave. And that sign was that the altar would split apart. That would prove that what he was saying, the message he gave, was true, the authenticity of this prophecy. 1 Kings 13.4 So it came to pass when King Jeroboam heard the saying of the man of God, who cried out against the altar in Bethel, that he stretched out his hand from the altar, saying, Arrest him! Then his hand, which he stretched out toward him, withered, so that he could not pull it back to himself. The altar also was split apart, and the ashes poured out from the altar according to the sign which the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. Then the king answered and said to the man of God, Please entreat the favor of the Lord your God and pray for me that my hand may be restored to me. So the man of God entreated the Lord, and the king's hand was restored to him and became as before. So whenever a king outstretched his arm, that was a command gesture of authority. Go and do that. They'd stick their hand out. You, get over here. And it, was, it was an authority gesture. And so when Jeroboam's outstretched hand of authority suddenly withered, 
That was the Lord demonstrating that Jeroboam's authority was no match for the superior authority of the Lord God Almighty. And you know, even with his arm withered, if you caught that, when you, when you read it, if you caught it, Jeroboam still rejected the Lord because he said to the prophet, he said, please entreat the favor of the Lord, your God. He didn't say my God. He said your God. You see, Jeroboam had not accepted the Lord as his God. It's rather evident because no true believer would ever be sacrificing golden calves like he was doing. But God could have. I mean, he could have. He could have killed Jeroboam for this in judgment, but the fact that he restored his arm again, not killing him, that demonstrates how patient God was being with Jeroboam. He was extending grace to him. So you can see that this prophecy from this prophet here, it came with the opportunity to repent. God went absolutely overboard with Jeroboam to give him more than enough opportunities to repent and get right. 1 Kings 13, 7, Then the king said to the man of God, Come home with me and refresh yourself, and I will give you a reward. But the man of God said to the king, If you were to give me half your house, I would not go in with you, nor would I eat bread nor drink water in this place. For so it was commanded me by the word of the Lord, saying, You shall not eat bread nor drink water nor return by the same way you came. So he went another way and did not return by the way he came to Bethel. Now, the reason he probably was not allowed to go back the way he came from or to eat there, it was to show everybody he wasn't there for pleasure. He wasn't there to hang out. He wasn't there to make friends and see how things are over there. He was only in Bethel for God's business, not to go sightseeing and not to try out any local cuisine. Oh, that looked like a good restaurant. Let me try that place out. He's not there for that. Get in, get out. Because this was a very pushy, offensive message. And restricting his dining and his drinking and hanging out with people would get him in and out quick. It was for the prophet's very own safety. So he wasn't allowed to go back the way he came came over there either. He take a different way home. Because again, what if he saw something on his way to Bethel that piqued his curiosity? I, man, they. I hear they got good steaks over here or something. I'd like to try that place out. He wasn't allowed to go the same way that he came from. The Lord wanted him to understand this is strictly business. You're not on, you don't mix business and pleasure on this one. Go in and get the job done and get out. Don't be looking for your own agenda while you're out there. So he had to come in a different way that he went out. He wasn't allowed to eat or drink. So here when King Jeroboam offered him basically a meal and a gift and come stay with me for a while, it was understood back in that ancient Eastern culture that this offer came with a sense of permanence about it. It was an ongoing promise of protection. If this young man, this prophet, had accepted Jeroboam's offer, then he would have been putting himself in debt to Jeroboam. He would have been indebted to the king. So basically, Jeroboam's offer here to stay with me, hang out, eat, I'll reward you, it was an attempt by Jeroboam to take over and control God's man. You can see how Jeroboam was still being rebellious and he was being manipulative, trying to take over the situation. He was still to the very last, even after his arm got restored back to him, he was still trying to manipulate God. And you know, a lot of people do that. 
It's just in their nature to be like that because they reject God to their core. 1 Kings 13, 11. Now, an old prophet dwelt in Bethel, and his sons came and told him all the works that the man of God had done that day in Bethel. They also told their father the words which he had spoken to the king. And their father said to them, Which way did he go? For his sons had seen which way the man of God went, who came from Judah. Then he said to his sons, Saddle the donkey for me. So they saddled the donkey for him, and he rode on it and went after the man of God and found him sitting under an oak. Then he said to him, Are you the man of God who came from Judah? And he said, I am. Okay, first off, about this guy, this other second prophet here now. We were just given two very important clues about what kind of man this guy is. It says, first, the man was old. There's your clue number one. The second one was that he lived in Bethel. He's old, and he lived there. He lived in the very place that God had sent the first prophet to speak against. So what this tells us is that even though he was called a prophet, perhaps in his past he had done some prophetic work with God before God kingdom service did just fine in that. For some reason now, being old means he should have had the wisdom by now to know better than to be living in the same town as where they were sacrificing to golden calves and not do a single thing about it. You see the problem here. I'm pretty sure that Jeroboam knew this prophet was in town. Prophets were usually pretty well known wherever they were at, and I'm sure Jeroboam knew he lived there in the same town in Bethel. And since that old prophet never spoke up about what Jeroboam was doing, that means the prophet actually became Jeroboam's enabler. Jeroboam was thinking, hey, we got a prophet right here in town. He hasn't said a word against what I'm doing with these golden calves. Must be okay. I'm going to keep on going. So now I'm curious why this prophet never spoke up. Why did he never say anything? Old man, he'd been living there. Why did he never say anything about these golden calves? Hey, look, that's not what you should be doing in front of God. But this also drives me to be curious as to why, wouldn't say anything about the calves, but why would suddenly this old prophet want to go visit the young prophet? Why did he have a drive to go talk to the young prophet, but never occurred to him to say anything, to, to have anything to do with the golden calves? Now, Perhaps he was driven by jealousy. Now, we're going to read on. You stay with me on this. We're going to find it in the context. Maybe he was driven by jealousy. Maybe he was thinking, why didn't God send me? I'm a prophet. Why didn't God send me to do this job? How come he sent some young guy from Judah? I could have done this. So I'm thinking, was the old prophet's motive to go see the young prophet? Was it just a visit with him? Or was he driven by this jealousy? Or maybe he was angry at the young prophet for daring to speak against his hometown. Man, I've been living here. What you, who, who are you to come over here and speak against my town? I'm the prophet that lives here. <laughs> I worked at a place one time where this guy was trying to out-Christian me. Oh, goodness. I would write a Bible verse on my dry erase board just for my inspiration of the day. He would come and erase it. And he'd turn around and say, well, I've got a better verse than that one that says it better. And he was just always trying to outdo me on these things. I, I mean, I've seen that kind of jealousy happen before. Who are you, young prophet, to come speak against my town? I'm the prophet here. But in context, going by what we have read, we already saw Jeroboam, he failed 
to buy out the young prophet. He tried to bribe him, come stay with me, hang out, and he's not allowed to do that. So what I'm thinking, there's the possibility that perhaps the old prophet had already accepted a gift from Jeroboam in the, in the past as hush money. Here, I'll set you up. Just be quiet. Don't do any more God work. That's what he tried to do to the first prophet. Stay with me. I'll set you up real good. But stop this God stuff, okay? Maybe he did that to the old prophet. And it's likely that the old prophet had long been misusing his ministry position, his title as a prophet, as a means to live the high life. Oh, don't we have that going on today? Your big money pastors saying that they're proclaiming the word of God when really they're lying in their pockets. You've seen them. But now that a real prophet had come to do real work in Bethel, work that the old prophet should have been able to pick up on and do himself, it's now got this old prophet so curious. He just has to go talk to this guy. 1 Kings thirteen fifteen. Then he said to him, come home with me and eat bread. See, look at the problem happening again, trying to distract him from his mission. And he said, verse 16, and he said, I cannot return with you nor go in with you. Neither can I eat bread nor drink water with you in this place. For I have been told by the word of the Lord, you shall not eat bread nor drink water there, nor return by going the way you came. He said to him, I too am a prophet as you are. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with you to your house, that he may eat bread and drink water. He was lying to him. So he went back with him and ate bread in his house and drank water. Oh, there it is. Boom. We were trying to figure this old prophet out. Which way was he really standing? Was he in the kingdom anymore? Was he out? Was he being right or was he being wrong? There he is. It says, it said literally he was lying to him. This old prophet, he had long been corrupted and he had tolerated Jeroboam's sin in the town of Bethel. And he now was speaking in direct opposition to the young prophet's mission, and he lied to him. You see what putting up with sin does when you sit around and you get, you know that sin's going right down the streets, happening right in your city, and everybody else has accepted it, and you figure, well, you know, everybody's doing it, so it's okay. Now you're corrupted. This guy, this prophet, and he was a legitimate prophet probably at one time. He was unable to see God's work. He was so blinded by tolerating sin that he couldn't see God working right in front of him. Couldn't see it. Not only could he not see it, but because he couldn't see it, he was actually trying to work in opposition to the word of God. Isn't that something? You know, you may be thinking to yourself, well, you know, just because I don't read the Bible or just because I don't go to church or just because I don't pray and all, basically just because I'm not doing everything that God commanded me to do. That doesn't mean I'm a bad person. Well, wait a minute. You, How do you know you're not directly working in exact opposition to what God is trying to get his people to do? You see the problem? Can you see how bad sin can affect people and taint them? 1 Kings thirteen twenty. Now it happened as they sat at the table that the word of the Lord came to the prophet who had brought him back. And he cried out to the man of God who came from Judah, saying, Thus says the Lord, because you have disobeyed the word of the Lord and have not kept the commandment which the Lord your God commanded you, but you came back, ate bread, 
and drink water in the place of which the Lord said to you, Eat no bread and drink no water. Your corpse shall not come to the tomb of your fathers. So it was, after he had eaten bread and after he had drunk, that he saddled the donkey for him, the prophet whom he had brought back. When he was gone, a lion met him on the road and killed him, and his corpse was thrown on the road, and the donkey stood by it. The lion also stood by the corpse. Okay, how many of y'all's heads just boom, just blew up? I mean, because this is deep stuff here. Why was the young prophet's judgment so absolutely severe here when the old prophet had been living for years, tolerating the sin in Bethel? Both men had their sin, no doubt, but why was one guy's judgment so public and so severe while the other guy seemed to just get away with it? First off, we need to understand that God's judgment on the younger man was proportionate to the grand size, the huge scale, the scope, and to the importance of his mission. You see, the young prophet's mission was to speak against all the ten tribes that were under Jeroboam, and so God had to judge the young prophet's sin publicly and very strictly. Now, if word got out, that God had not judged the young prophet's sin, then no one would have believed the message that he proclaimed, that, uh, that judgment was coming for their sin. See, they would say, if God would not judge the sin of the prophet, then why would he judge ours? I mean, they would not have taken him seriously. They'd think, well, you know, we'll just, we're going to get away with it because he did too. So now what about the old prophet? Okay, he had been tolerating the sin of these altars here of Jeroboam's golden calves. He had been putting up with it and didn't care to say anything for who knows how long. But his sin was not recognized by a lot of people on a national scale, like the young prophet, like the young man was. The old man's sin was rather private within his own home, and God was going to judge this man privately. So you can see that each man's judgment would be proportionate to the scope and the size and the scale of how wide their audience was. The young man, he spoke against all the ten tribes on a national level, and that's why his sin had to be done publicly and very severely and immediately. But the old man's sin, it was more private, and God was going to deal with him privately. It's very proportionate according to the scale. 1 Kings 13.25 And there men passed by, and saw the corpse thrown on the road, and the lion standing by the corpse. Then they went and told it in the city where the old prophet dwelt. Now, you know, it was not common for wild animals to just come out running into a busy highway where lots of people were, and just kill people like that. Very uncommon. It's very out of the ordinary here. Plus, it also says that the lion stood by the prophet's corpse. He wasn't bothering to eat it. He was just sitting, he just standing there by it, no real intention. That doesn't happen for an animal just charge into public, kill somebody, and then just stand there and just not do anything. What was the lion's purpose in this? It was not a natural, normal thing. So this means the lion was divinely sent by God to execute judgment against this young prophet because of his disobedience. And I know this really throws people sideways when they hear it. They hear it in their mind. God killed somebody, but God does create chaos. He says it in the in the word. He does these things. He has to. 
God has to execute judgment on sin. That's why Jesus died on the cross in our place, because God has to execute judgment on sin. He does it. So God targeted, though, his judgment to happen at a very public place. That's another interesting point here. He targeted it to happen where the lion would meet this man in a public place where lots of people were traveling back and forth. What more public place than to do it on a road? It didn't happen in the privacy of the woods back in a thicket somewhere where nobody could see it. This was out in the open for everyone to see for miles around. This would cause people to take the young man's message very seriously. 1 Kings 13, 26. Now, when the prophet who had brought him back from the way heard it, he said, it is the man of God who is disobedient to the word of the Lord. Therefore, the Lord has delivered him to the lion, which has torn him and killed him, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke to him. And he spoke to his son, saying, saddle the donkey for me. So they saddled it. Then he went and found his corpse thrown on the road and the donkey and the lion standing by the corpse. The lion had not eaten the corpse nor torn the donkey. And the prophet took up the corpse of the man of God, laid it on the donkey, and brought it back. So the old prophet came to the city to mourn and to bury him. Then he laid the corpse in his own tomb, and they mourned over him, saying, Alas, my brother! So it was after they had buried him that he spoke to his son, saying, When I am dead... Then bury me in the tomb where the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones. For the saying which he cried out by the word of the Lord against the altar in Bethel and against all the shrines on the high places which are in the cities of Samaria will surely come to pass. Oh my gosh, did you just see the big change? that happened in the old prophet. He's very different all of a sudden. You know, he had to get over his own little personal issues, didn't he? Oh, who are you, young prophet? I'm the prophet guy in this town. Why are you here? I got to go see this guy. What's going on? He had to get over himself, didn't he? His pride, maybe his arrogance, his ignorance, because now he believes what the young man said. Now he's seeing it. Now he gets it. And apparently he felt guilty for having played a part in the young man's death. And since he understood that the shame of this young man meant that he could never be buried in his own tomb, if a man was sent out to preach against an entire region and sinned in the the process of it, you're restricted from being buried in your own tomb. And he knew this, so the old prophet said, bury him in mine. Bury him in mine. See, he is really, really trying to honor this man after he had been shamed. Friends, this old prophet was not able to see God at work before, but now he sees it. He now believed in the man whom God sent, and he believed in him so much that he said, I want to be buried with him. 1 Kings 13, 33. After this event, Jeroboam did not turn from his evil way, but again, he made priests from every class of people for the high places, whoever he wished. He consecrated him, and he became one of the priests of the high places. Thank 
you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen of Calvary Chapel Pearland. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set.